Hello, this is Ian Harper welcoming you to Business of Weather podcast, produced in association with Asia Climate Forum, Asia's largest event dedicated to extreme weather and climate change, flooding and poor air quality. In each episode, we'll investigate the increasing impact of extreme weather and climate change on business and society, and look at how weather technology and climate information services can help address the growing challenges. We'll also spotlight the new opportunities for entrepreneurs and business startups seeking to develop the business potential of technology innovations to help those affected by extreme weather. Geoengineering or climate engineering is the deliberate and large-scale intervention in the Earth's climate system to hold back global warming. The approach that's attracted the most interest involves managing the amount of solar radiation reaching the Earth's surface. Most experts strongly advise against relying on climate engineering to solve global warming because of the uncertainties over its effectiveness and the unforeseen consequences. However, Because of the continuing failure of national governments to agree concerted action to keep global warming within tolerable limits, even the more sceptical experts are starting to think it might be necessary at some point in the future. Should climate engineering ever be seriously considered, there are some big questions which need answers. In particular, who will pay for the research, who will control it if it is used, and who will take responsibility for the consequences. And, just as importantly, what can be done to make sure that it does not distract public and politicians from the more conventional approaches to cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Business of Weather spoke to Andy Parker, the project director of the Solar Radiation Management Governance Initiative. This is a project established by a wide range of non-governmental organisations. Its aim is to start a global conversation around the governance of geoengineering research, especially among the developing countries, which are the most affected by climate change. Welcome, Andy. Hello. Right. What exactly is solar radiation management? So solar radiation management, often shortened to SRM, is a theoretical proposal for reducing some of the risks of climate change by reflecting sunlight back out into space. Um, Along with removing carbon from the atmosphere, it's a a so-called geoengineering or or climate engineering proposal. Uh, And it sounds like science fiction, I know, but it's being taken increasingly seriously by scientists, by environmentalists, as people start to wonder what our options are for reducing the risks from CO2 that's already been emitted to the atmosphere. Okay, what is the Solar Radiation Management Governance Initiative and what does it aim to achieve? So the Solar Radiation Management Governance Initiative, shortened to SRMGI for simplicity's sake, is it's an international NGO-driven project that I direct, and we seek to build the capacity of developing countries to evaluate SRM geoengineering, um, to make their own minds up about whether this is a potentially useful idea or whether this is a disaster 
monstrous idea that should be rejected. And we, we do our work, we, we build the capacity of developing countries in this area because, simply put, solar geoengineering matters more to the global south. If it works really well, then developing countries have the most to gain because they're on the front lines of climate change. If it works really badly, if it goes wrong, nasty side effects, then developing countries will bear the brunt of any problems because typically they're, they're less resistant to environmental change. So, so that's, that's uh, why we do the work we do. Who set the initiative up? Uh, who are the participants? And most importantly, who actually funds it? So the initiative was set up in, in 2010, nearly a decade ago, by the Royal Society, the National Academy of Sciences in the UK, where I used to work, by TWAS, who are the World Academy of Sciences and an Academy of Sciences, Academy of Sciences for the Developing World, and by Environmental Defence Fund, who are a prominent green NGO from the United States. Um, in terms of who funds it, our, our current work is funded by the Open Philanthropy Project, who are a California-based philanthropy. Uh, they seek to fund projects that have the potential to make a large positive difference in the world, but aren't necessarily uh, very high profile or very fashionable causes. And, and the participants, well, it, it depends on what activity we're doing. Um, we, we work through two main methods to build capacity. First of all, we start a conversation in developing countries about SRM, geoengineering. So we work always in partnership with local organizations. When we ran a meeting in Nairobi, our partner was the um, African Academy of Sciences. When we ran a meeting in uh, the Caribbean, we worked with the Caribbean Academy of Sciences, the University of the West Indies. So we always work with local partners and we try to start a critical discussion about SRM in the local climate community. We also run um, a research fund called the Decimals Fund and Decimals supports the work of scientists across the global south who want to understand how SRM could affect their regions. And so we fund modelling studies in eight different countries in the global south. Those studies were uh, picked through scientific review from an open application process. Right. Uh, what exactly is the Decimals Fund? Uh, how much money is in it and who controls it? Yeah, so Decimals Fund was set up in 2018 by SRMGI. How much money is in it? Well, we've given out eight grants of an average of 60,000 US dollars, and that supports two to three years of study uh, in, in eight different countries, eight different research teams who are looking at things like how SRM might affect dust storms in the Middle East, how using SRM could affect drought across southern Africa, um, how SRM might affect the spread of uh, disease such as malaria and cholera in Bangladesh. Um, and so the goal of all of this is to really start building the capacity of local experts to evaluate SRM, to build the evidence base um, which people locally might use to evaluate SRM and to start to build networks so that the, the scientists in, in Argentina are connected with their colleagues in Indonesia and Iran and South Africa. And so we can start to build this critical global conversation about SRM, which will be needed if we're to make smart decisions about it. Now then, geoengineering or climate engineering 
would probably be regarded by most people as the last desperate resort to tackling runaway climate change. Wouldn't it be extremely dangerous to implement any measures which are designed to use some form of technical fix to hold back or reverse global warming? Uh, yeah, it m might prove to be very dangerous indeed. And, and that's what uh, researchers across the world are trying to understand. So researchers working in physical science and climate modelling, uh, like the researchers we fund through decimals, and also researchers looking at social science and ethics and law and, and science policy and so on. So SRM might be terribly dangerous. It might also enormously reduce climate risks. It, it is potentially going to be the only method to to keep global temperatures below 1.5 C or 2 C of warming. And so scientists in the global north and global south currently are trying to understand, it. would it be more dangerous to use SRM or not use SRM? And the stakes are super high. Right. What sorts of technologies could be used to manage the amount of solar radiation reaching the Earth's atmosphere or surface? Different approaches have been suggested. I, I think there are two main leading methods at the moment. The, the, the proposal that receives the most research attention is, is called stratospheric aerosol injection. And that would seek to replicate the well-understood cooling effect that volcanoes have. If, if a really large volcano erupts in the tropics, it blasts millions of tonnes of sulphur dioxide into the stratosphere. And uh, this forms uh, ref slightly reflective aerosols. These circulate the planet on stratospheric winds. And so you get this fine mist of, uh, of aerosols filtering out a small amount of sunlight and cooling the planet. And so volcano uh, scientists observed this volcanic cooling effect and they thought, well, is this something that we could replicate? Can we fly jets to the stratosphere and spray out the sulfur dioxide ourselves. And so uh, the question is not whether we could, we probably could, it seems feasible. The question is whether we should, which is much more tricky. So that, that's stratospheric aerosols. Another leading proposal is marine cloud brightening. This would involve spraying seawater into the into the lower atmosphere uh, in, in certain areas of, uh, of the world's oceans. Uh, this would be to promote whiter, brighter clouds, by, by spraying the seawater, you produce cloud condensation nuclei, the theory goes, and these will make marine clouds whiter and brighter and reflect more reflective to sunlight. So that in turn would cool the planet. Other ideas proposed include make, make, making the, the built environment whiter, making our cities and roads whiter, or putting mir mirrors into, into space. So putting, uh, putting material directly between Earth and the sun. Neither of these proposals are currently being taken as seriously due to concerns about um, effectiveness or side effects or affordability. Now, are these technologies actually being developed? And if so, who is developing them? The simple answer is no. It, people are, scientists and academics generally, are focused on trying to understand impacts rather than develop these for deployment. So there have been some um, engineering studies to try and understand if stratospheric aerosol injection might be feasible. And it seems, based on our current understanding, that it probably would be. Um, and so developing the technology is less important right now than trying to understand what would happen if we tried to use this. So to what extent do we already understand the potential impacts of solar radiation management? What research has been carried out to date and what are the results? Yeah, so 
in terms of what we understand so far, our understanding is still very limited. We need a lot more research and a lot more evidence if humanity is to make a smart decision about this. Um, there's been a fair amount of computer modeling done. So trying to understand how SRM might affect things that matter around the world. So typically temperature, precipitation patterns, total amount of precipitation, floods, sea level rise, that sort of thing. And that modeling done over the last 10, 15 years has pretty consistently found that a world where a moderate amount of SRM was used to reduce the rate of warming, uh, there would be a much lower level of climate impacts than a world where the planet is, is left just to warm up beyond 2, 3 or 4C. Um, problem is that Computer models are far from perfect representation of the natural world. The world does not behave exactly how models think it will. So how much faith should we put in the modeling results that we have already? Uh, if, if, if they're wrong, there might be nasty hidden surprises out there. And either way, I don't think anyone involved would say that we know enough now to be able to make a smart decision. So generally, people working in this area, people who've taken a serious look at solar geoengineering, conclude that we need a lot more research before we can even start to make a smart decision. Do you think there's a serious possibility of solar radiation management techniques or other climate engineering techniques being used to tackle global warming and climate change? Yeah, I do. Um, I, th I, I think it's eminently possible that in the next 40 years, uh, people might try to use SRM to reduce climate risks. Um, what I don't know is whether that's going to be a good thing or a not a good thing or not. They, in one world, we have a legitimate, well-informed decision made in the United Nations either to use or reject this technology, um, but it has full participation and input from the world's nations. In another world, SRM could be used by a desperate nation facing. Um, enormous climate threats like the, the wildfires we're seeing in Australia at the moment, like a sustained period of drought. And a country might just get desperate and say, hey, we, we've, we've got to use this technology. We have no other options. That would be much less desirable. So at the moment, the work we're doing with SRMGI is to try and uh, build the capacity of the global south, allow developing countries to develop their own positions on SRM. We don't care whether that's for or against, um, but to develop their own positions so that they can play a much greater role in discussions and that there's a much more legitimate uh, and informed discussion about SRM in the future. Just to pick up on that last point, who would control how and when climate engineering might be used? Yeah, that's that. That's really the, the big question when it comes to SRM. E even if this technology worked perfectly and, and uniformly reduced climate risk for all region, which is just a thought experiment, that's not how the world works. But, but even if it did, we still would not have got past the super difficult political questions of who controls this. So you can imagine a scenario where Russia might want the world a degree or two warmer and India might want it a degree or two cooler. How do we ever get a legitimate global agreement on whether even to turn solar geoengineering on, let alone where to set the global thermostat? 
And so the control issue is not going to go away. For me, it's the most difficult problem of many that are presented by SRM. Um, and, and we don't know how we're going to manage this. So, so that's one of the reasons we do the work we do, try and build the capacity of developing countries. At least that way we might get a more even and equitable conversation. Right then. Anyway, to conclude, what's next on the agenda for the Solar Radiation Management Governance Initiative? So with the the decimals fund, we have demonstrated that there is an interest and a capacity in the global south for undertaking SRM research. Our, Our eight teams are doing terrific research which will produce new evidence on the potential impacts of SRM around the world. Uh, we would like to continue and do more of the same, but but not just stop there. For, for reasons of um, practicability, we only were able to give research grants for for climate modelling in in the in the first phase of decimals. But it'd be great to be able to expand from there. So to fund so science research, to fund regional assessments of SRM, to fund research in regions or in countries that aren't yet involved in the discussion. So um, that that's the, that's the medium term. In the short term, we're looking forward to our eight projects reporting their findings through 2020, and it'll be really interesting to see what they find out about SRM in Africa, in Latin America, the Caribbean, in Southeast Asia, and so on. So that's in the short term. Well, that concludes our interview. Andy Parker, thank you very much. Thank you, pleasure. You're listening to Business of Weather, produced in association with Asia Climate Forum, Asia's largest event dedicated to addressing climate change, flooding and poor air quality.